There's a lot of character qualities in life. A lot of character qualities in you and I. We'll say, I'm, I'm grouchy. I'm nice. I'm loving. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm strong. I'm disciplined. You know one character quality you don't hear people describe themselves a lot with? Compassion. You ever think about that? How often do you hear somebody say, I am a compassionate person? Now, I think there's a lot of people who are compassionate. But usually, normally, you don't hear people describe themselves as being compassionate. But now watch this. You do hear people talk about how uncompassionate they are. Don't you? I mean, even in the church, we would say, boy, I don't have a compassionate bone in my body. Or we would, you know, dress it up with Bible language and we'd say, well, I don't have the gift of mercy. Now, if you're looking for the gift of mercy, don't come here. You know, and we'll talk about how we don't have compassion. We'll, we'll talk about how we don't have mercy as if it was some kind of badge of honor. As if we should somehow be a little bit excited to be able to boast this about ourselves. Jesus wants you to be compassionate. He wants that character quality to describe your life and to describe my life. As you look back in the last seven days, can you see a thread of compassion running through your life? Can you look back and say, you know, I, I, I was compassionate with that individual there and, and I had an opportunity there on Tuesday and, and, and Thursday there was a situation and, and man, in every one of these places I had, I had such a great opportunity to show compassion. Or as you're sitting here this morning, do you look back over the last seven days and, yeah, you know, there was a place where you, you, you could have but not so much. Let me switch gears a little bit and think about this. When we make the statement, or when I make the statement, Jesus wants you to show compassion, to be compassionate. I'm guessing maybe there's a question or two that comes to your mind. Which comes first? What? What does that mean? Jesus wants me to be compassionate. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Or is the question... Who? who? Who does he want me to be compassionate with? Who, who am I to show compassion to? You know, I think if you'll think about it for a moment, we're sometimes a little bit more rattled by the who than the what. Both questions have to be answered, but it's the who that shakes us up. You see, I've got people in my life that if, if Jesus comes to me and says, Randy, I really want you to work on this character quality of your life. I want you to be more compassionate with, with him and her and, and them. Be compassionate. And I would say, okay, Lord, uh, you know, that's hard. I'll pray about it. I want to do that. I want to be what you want me to be. And I'll, I'll work on compassion with those people. But then there might be other people where I'd say, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to work on that, I don't want to pray about it. I, I don't want to be compassionate there. As Jesus comes to us this morning to talk to us about this character quality of compassion in our lives, he, he tells a story. He uses a story, maybe, I think I can say this, maybe the best known story in the history of stories. Have you ever thought about that? What would be the most well-known 
story in the history of man. I think Jesus tells it. I think that story, there's a lot of Jesus' stories that are well known and, and even used outside of, of Scripture, but I think the story of the Good Samaritan, and people who don't even read the Bible know that story. People who don't even believe in God know that story. People of other religions use that story. That story is maybe the most well-known story in the history of man, and it talks to you and me about compassion. Let's look at it. Would you turn with me in your Bible this morning to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. If it's not right in front of you, you can probably point to one up or down the row. I'm sure somebody will hand it to you. We want everybody to be able to, to read and study along. You want to leave it open. I'll be referring to verses even after I read it. Luke chapter 10 into your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Acts on the other side. Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, Just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. A denarii would be equivalent to a day's wages. So when he's handing over two denarii, he's handing over two days' wages. If you're trying to kind of put yourself in the story here, kind of imagine, what do you make if you work two days? What's that divided up? Your paycheck. What's it come out to for two days? That's what he's handing over Right here. He gave two days of pay to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three, this is Jesus, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Kind of an obvious answer, isn't it? Well, it's, it's the one who showed mercy toward him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go. And do the same. We see in this story again, and it says this throughout Scripture, there's a direct connection between our relationship with God and our relationship with others. A relationship between our relationship with God and our relationship with people. Now, when you hear that, I think it's our natural tendency, it's our desire to know what people. I mean, it can't be all six billion. 
I mean, surely my relationship with God is not tied to how I interact with six billion people. I can't be responsible for six billion people. I mean, who? Could you narrow the field for me, Lord? Could, could you define this? Bring this down for a little bit. I, I can't be responsible for everybody. And, and, and Lord, honestly, there's some, some people I don't, I don't want to be my neighbor. I would never live next door to them. Who's my neighbor? Define that. Narrow that for me. That's the question that, that this expert in the law asked. Now, he's called a lawyer here. And he is a lawyer. That's what he would be called in this day and age. But, but in our time, we wouldn't call him a lawyer. He's not, he's not doing anything with real estate. He's not dealing with anything with civil or criminal law. He is a lawyer in the sense that he is an expert in Mosaic law. For, for the priests, for the Levites, for the, the church, he would be interpreting the Mosaic law and how it's to be applied in this setting. And so he's a lawyer in that sense. Today, I guess we'd call him a theologian. And so he comes to Jesus and he asks him about eternal life. He's basically saying, how can I be in right standing with God? How can I have a right relationship with God? Now, do you see the connection there? The story starts with asking about a relationship with God. Where does it end? It's talking about a relationship with people. Do you see the tie? Do you see the connection? Now, the, the, the lawyer's question's not sincere. He's not really saying, hey, Jesus, could, could I have some time? Could, could we go get a cup of coffee? Man, I, how do I know I can be right with God? How can I get into heaven? He's not asking like that. He's hoping to maybe catch Jesus in, a, in an inconsistency. Hoping he'll catch Jesus in a contradiction. He wants to trap Jesus. He wants to catch Jesus. He's not really wanting to know. And so I love Jesus' response. Look at it there in verse 26. You know, if you interpreted this kind of into our lingo, you know what Jesus is saying here? You're the expert. You tell me. And and he does, doesn't he? Quotes it right from from memory. I mean, he's ready on the spot to give Jesus an answer. And he gives what what the scripture calls, what you and I refer to as the, the first and greatest commandment. And the second, which Jesus says is just like it. Love God. Love others. The first and second commandment. And, and Jesus says, you know what? Good answer. Now, do it. Well, that's a, that's a profound two words, folks. And only four letters. Do it. Do it. Do what we're talking about. Do what the law commands. You know, I really think there is a, a problem, there's a, maybe a tendency, I'm not sure how quite to describe it, to kind of look at the Christian life as all about studying and talking about the Christian life. Folks, the Christian life's not a way of study. It's a way of life. The, the Christian life is a way of being and a way of doing. Yeah, study helps. Man, the Scripture encourages us to study. Study is a means to know what to be and, and how to do. But, but folks, the Christian life isn't just about gathering in a Bible study, talking about ideas, talking about Scripture, and then going out unimpacted. Jesus says, good answer. Now do it. And the lawyer says, you know, I, I'm not really ready to do it. I'd like to discuss more. I, I, I'd like to talk more. Could, could, we, could we define who this, this neighbor is? Could you tell me that? Now, couldn't Jesus just give him an answer? 
I mean, I mean, let me just go to the end of the story and just remove all the mystery. Who's the neighbor? Anybody. Absolutely anybody you see in need. If you're doing something you do every single day, if you're doing something you do once a lifetime, once a week, once a year, whatever you're doing in your normal way of life, whenever you see somebody in need, that person becomes your neighbor. Now, it, when this guy said, who's my neighbor, couldn't Jesus just said that? And, and then we dialogue on what that means to walk throughout life and, and see people. But, but Jesus doesn't just go straight to the answer. He tells a story. The most well-known story maybe ever told. Now, while it's a story, it relates to actual events. There really is a Jerusalem. There really is a Jericho. There really is a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it really is dangerous. In this day and time, that road was called the road to blood. Now, honestly, you know, when I'm looking on my GPS and it says this is the road to blood, I'm, you know, I'm hitting alternate route. You know, I, even if it's longer, that's what this road was known for. It really was a bad road. You really had a high chance of being robbed, of, uh, of being beaten. It's just a dangerous road. Jerusalem w was up on a hill, 2,300 feet. Above sea level. Jericho, on the other hand, went down to the Dead Sea. It was, it's one of the lowest spots on the earth. It's 1,300 feet below sea level. And so in this 17-mile journey, you're ascending 3,600 feet. If you've ever been hiking in the mountains, you know, normally you don't just shoot straight up. It's kind of the switchbacks. You know, you snake your way up and you kind of go back and forth. And, and that road just kind of, the way it was dying, it was really set up well for ambushing. It was set up well for attacking people, and that's what happened. As Jesus would tell this story, people in the audience would be sitting there going, yeah, man, I know what you're talking about. I've seen that. You know, I had a friend that was, was robbed on that road once. They would all relate with the story. So you see what Jesus is doing? See, the lawyer, he wants to have a discussion up here in the, in the ivory tower of debate and discussion. Jesus wants to take the discussion out into the street to a bloodied, mangled body. And he says, here, this is where I want to talk about who's your neighbor. Now, it's interesting, these two characters that he starts with. Have you ever noticed, and I would imagine most of you have read the story, you know the story. Have you ever noticed, we don't need these two guys. I mean, when, you, when Jesus adds these two characters to the story, they don't introduce us to what love is. They don't introduce us to who our neighbor is. They really don't add anything to the question of the lawyer. They don't add anything to the point of the story. Unless Jesus is making another point. Unless he's introducing something else to the story. You see, our, our priest and our Levite, they are, um, well, they're good church people, aren't they? They're good church people. They're respected church people, applauded church people. And, and Jesus has these two guys going up the road past the Samaritan. Very quick statement. We don't hear much about it. it is, they saw him and they passed by. Now, we might just for fun, you know, try to imagine. Now, why would these good church people, these respected church people, why are they not the hero of the story? Why do they pass by? 
You know, if the priest, a real possibility is, is that he's traveling from Jericho up to Jerusalem. There's a lot of priests in, in Jesus' day. And matter of fact, more than was really needed to run the temple. And so what they did is they broke the priest up into 24 teams. And, and your team would serve in the temple two weeks a year. Now, folks, if you're a priest, that's, that's the highlight of the year. That's, that's what it's all about. You live for those two weeks. To go up to Jerusalem and to serve in the temple. So perhaps, maybe, I mean, we're just speculating, imagining here. This priest is, is on his way from Jericho up to Jerusalem to serve his two weeks. And, and of course, as Jesus tells the story, the guy is half dead. So if I'm walking down the road and I observe this, I mean, he might already be dead. Now, there, there, there was a law in, in the Mosaic law that said if you touched a dead person... You were ceremonially unclean for seven days. So if I'm a priest and I do walk over and see if this guy's okay. Oh my gosh, he's dead. I just lost one of my two weeks. I mean, I, I lived for this for two weeks and I just lost one of them. I've got to go up there and say, man, I saw this dead guy and I'm unclean. Seven days wasted. As a matter of fact, I bet as he began to justify this in his mind, it wasn't that, oh, I don't, I, I, I don't think I can go over there. Man, by the time he got done justifying it, it was, I can't go over there. I've got the call of God on my life. I'm going to do the work of God. I can't do that. I'm sure he had it absolutely justified so that he was doing the exact right thing. Don't we do that? Maybe that's one of the reasons Jesus would add these unnecessary characters. Maybe what he's telling you and me today is, hey, you know, when you're doing that whole justification thing in your mind about why you're not going to do the right thing, you know, I hear that. And you're not right. Don't ever say you're not going to do the right thing because you're serving me. Go take care of them. Now we have our Levite come by. Same thing. And the Levite passes by. Very quick statement. Why does he pass by? I have no idea. Maybe instead of speculating why the Levite passed by, why don't we just put, make all of ourselves Levites for a moment? Now, a Levite is a, a temple servant. Okay? A priest was the one in charge of the sacrificial system inside the temple. The Levite was the, the temple servant. He basically made everything work. I mean, he was serving the priests and helping them. He was keeping the house up and just taking care of things. He was a minister of worship. The, the, the Levite made everything in the house work. So both of them religious guys. Why would he pass by? Because he's really, he's a person just like you and me, regardless of his title and his position. He's just a person. So why would you and I pass by? Well, now wait a minute, Pastor. I didn't say I would pass by. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying you'd pass by either. But we do. You did this week. I never saw a dead guy on the side of the road this week. Folks, you passed by somebody this week. Why did, why did you pass by? Maybe the same reason the Levite did. Uh, too busy. If I, if I actually see that, if I actually stop, it's going to mess up my day. I've got somewhere to go. Somebody's waiting. I, I, gotta get, I don't have time. You know, if, if I stop, oof, that's going to be messy. You know, I've got a weak stomach. I don't even know that I would know what to do. 
You know, I need to leave that. I wouldn't be able to help. I need to leave that to somebody who really is better equipped to help than I am. I can't do that. I can't do it. I mean, it was. Some of us got that kind of stomach. You know, if you think about it, now remember, this is a real road. And you really do have a chance of being robbed. So if I'm over here and I'm bending down, this is dangerous, isn't it? I mean, I've got my back to the road. How do I know I'm not going to be ambushed? Matter of fact, how do I know this guy's even hurt? He might be a robber. He's luring me in. It's a trap. It's not safe. I mean, we have a lot of reasons we can not see, don't we? You know, one thing is very clear during this point of the story. Being a spiritual worker does not mean you're spiritual. Doing spiritual work does not mean you're serving God. Doesn't mean anything like that. Now, the scripture says, but a certain Samaritan. Now, we're changing gears, right? We're leaving the church people. Do, do you realize that? Folks, do you realize this story is not for the big, bad, ugly world? This story is not for the atheists. This story is not for somebody of another religion. If Jesus were telling this story today, He'd come in here and tell it. It's for church people. It's for people who sing, Oh, how He loves me. That's where He'd come and tell this story. It's for us. But, but, a Samaritan, but, it's a, con, it's a, a, a conjunction, right? It links phrases of contrast. Say, gosh, that guy sounds like a, a grammar teacher. No, I'm not a grammar teacher. I'm not even that good at grammar. I just remember watching cartoons on ABC Saturday morning. You remember that? You remember? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? I got and, but, no, clauses and phrases. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Everybody clapping was about eight, t- eight years old in 1973. I got gotcha. you. So what, what it, it's, a, it's a conjunction that links this phrase with this phrase, contrasting them. Okay, so we are contrasting the church people. Now, you understand how this story is working yet? Jesus is contrasting you and me with the Samaritan. Now, we've heard that name a lot. In our day and age, it's a good word, isn't it? I mean, folks, you think about the power of this story. I mean, the Jews hate this name. I mean, saying the word Samaritan is like cussing. And do you realize by the power of this story alone how this word has become synonymous with kindness and compassion? I wonder how many hospitals in the United States are called the Good Samaritan Hospital. Probably hundreds. We have Good Samaritan laws. You see how this story has just transcended and yet, so, so you and I, when we hear Samaritan, we always attach good in front of it. Not this audience. See, it's a contrast, the church people with, and as soon as Jesus said, but Samaritan, the, uh, folks, I promise you the audience was going, clearly he is not going to make a hero out of the Samaritan. If everybody in this audience, I don't really know how many people are here. I mean, there's Jesus, there's the lawyer. You have to assume some of the disciples are standing around. Maybe, maybe there's some bystanders. They all have this one thing in common. They hate Samaritans. Now, you're saying, what, what's the deal with the Samaritan? Why, why don't we like these people? A Samaritan. What is a Samaritan? This is probably the clearest way to explain it. I'm nation number one. Are you with me? Okay. 
Uh, this is too fast for you. Okay, we'll go to Dr. Seuss then. I'm thing one, you're thing two, and you're thing three. Now, I'm nation number one, nation number two, nation number three. I defeat you. I defeat nation number two, and I defeat nation number three. Now the question is, how do I keep all of y'all in control in my little empire? Well, they discovered a good way of doing that. I'm going to take all the people over here, I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to make you come over here. And there's going to be room for you, because I'm picking up all the people over here, and I'm carrying you over here. See, the idea was, if you displace people, if you get them outside of their comfort zone, their culture, and their language, it's a lot easier to keep them under submission. And that's exactly what happened to Judah. In 586 B.C., Babylon came in and defeated Judah. They gathered up all the Jews. Now, not all of them. They left some of the real poor, the kind of the insignificant, the feeble. They left some of those people. But they took up most of the others, and they carried them off to another nation. This is what happened to Daniel. Y'all know the book of Daniel, the book of Esther. Daniel and Esther, those families, they were carried off, displaced into another country. And then another nation that Babylon had defeated, those people were gathered up and they were brought to Judah. That's your Samaritan. And now this is 500 years later, five centuries later. And as these people came over, now they brought their own culture, they brought their own language, they brought their own religion. But now they've been living for several centuries and they've kind of mixed it all up. Kind of a mix mash. You know, it's a little bit of their old religion, it's a little bit of Judaism, it's a little bit of their own culture and language, a little bit of Hebrew culture and language, and they've got it all kind of messed up. And as the Jews come back to their land and they see these people now living in it, man, they hate them. First of all, they're in their land. Secondly, it's like they're acting like they're Jewish wannabes. You know, they're trying to be, but you know what? They don't worship right and they don't believe right. They don't act right when they come to the temple. I mean, they're just all messed up. And they hate them. They hate them for this. This is your Samaritan. And this is the person that Jesus makes a hero out of. Not the church people who believe right and act right and worship right. Some of y'all this morning thinking them fakes ain't worshiping right. And these people look like Samaritans. Yeah, see, Jesus makes them, no, not so good. Then he comes over here in the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the one who crosses the road. He touches. He gets dirty. He takes his time. Uses his money. Jesus calls it compassion. What is compassion? What is love? Love and compassion are kind of used interchangeably here. What is it? Well, folks, compassion means a strong inward movement. In other words, when I cross the road, I'm not crossing the road because God told me to cross the road. I need to cross the road. This is what God wants me to do, and I need to obey. Obedience is good. Not making fun of obedience, but that's not compassion. Compassion is a strong inward movement. I don't cross the road because I'm trying to be obedient. I cross the road because I have to cross the road. It is welling up in me. I have to do this. And what does that love and that compassion do? Man, it sees, doesn't it? Haven't we trained ourselves not to see? I don't want to see hurt. I don't want to see need. I don't want to see what's happening in their lives. I don't want to see and understand why they're a jerk. I don't want to see love and compassion. It sees. 
and it cares. In this story, compassion doesn't just see, it actually moves, doesn't it? It moves, it crosses the road, it gets involved. I don't want to get involved. Compassion pays. Pays the price. Let me use a little cliche here. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You love a person, you love God, it always costs. Always, always, always. If you've got a love relationship that has no cost, you don't have a love relationship. Love costs. But you know, when I say it costs, we think, first of all, of money, don't we? There's a different cost here. Do you realize, as this Samaritan is handing this money over, do you realize the guy that's beaten up, unconscious, is a Jew? Do you realize if this unconscious guy were awake, he'd hate me. I, I, am, I am turning this money over. I am paying for the well-being of somebody that if he were awake, he'd hate my guts. Well, that's a different kind of cost, isn't it? And folks, let's think about this. Look what love and compassion does. It sees and it cares. It moves and it gets involved. And it pays the cost. Now that's the what. That's the what love does. What compassion does. What I am supposed to do for my neighbor. But that wasn't the question, was it? The question was not what does love do. The question is who do I have to do that for? Now that list all by itself is challenging. But who? Now we already know that answer, don't we? You answer at the beginning of the sermon. Anybody and everybody you see in need. Do you ever think about your mate that way? Do you, are you looking for, are you trying to see the need that your mate has so that you can move and get involved and, and pay whatever cost it takes, time, money, effort, sweat, humility, whatever it takes to meet that need? Yeah, as we walk through life, we look and, and that need today might be in my mate, it might be in my children, it might be in a friend at school and a friend at work, it might actually be my neighbor, the guy that lives next door. It might be anybody. But it might be a stranger. It might be somebody that from a distance I wouldn't normally think of myself as, uh, as uh, really liking or feeling comfortable with that person. It might even be my enemy. Jesus ends the story here. And can't you imagine if you are standing there? I mean, I think at this part of the story, I'm looking down, aren't you? Kind of kicking dirt. <laughs> I don't really want to look at Jesus in the eye because uh, this is, um, we got to get going. This is, uh, I feel like Jesus is talking right to me, feeling kind of convicted. And Jesus says, go and do the same. Well, what that guy just did, go and do same. Big theological word. Incarnation. Means in the flesh. It's a word we use in reference to God in the person of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh to this earth. We celebrate that, don't we? You do know we have a religious ceremony, a religious holiday to celebrate God coming in the flesh. What is it? Christmas. I'm sure Jesus loves watching Christmas. 
loves watching us celebrate Him coming in the flesh. But you know, as you read this story, you think Jesus might say, you know, I, I like the religious holiday, I like the religious activities and the things you do with celebrating me coming in the flesh. But you know, the, the, the real way you celebrate me? Be me in the flesh. I've ascended. You are to be my compassion in the flesh. Folks, it's our greatest opportunity to change the world. You got anybody in your life you want to change? The answer is yes. Everybody in here has people you want to change. They might be in your home. They might be at work. You've got people in your life you want to change. Now, normally we think that we need to change them by a good stern lecture. Boy, haven't your lectures changed the world? I know mine have. You know, or maybe I need to bring down the force of consequences. They need to be punished. And you know what? Maybe, maybe they do. That rarely changes anybody. You know what changes people? Compassion. Changed you? Or did it? We've answered what? We've answered who? It's not dealt with in this story, but you've got to kind of be thinking right now, how? It's very simple, folks. You become utterly overwhelmed that Jesus Christ crossed the street for you. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. And it is your life that is laying lifeless and dead on the side of the road. You can't do anything to affect your position before God. Sin has robbed you and beaten you up and you brought it into your life. You brought the robbery and the thieves into your own life. And Jesus crossed the road. He left heaven. He got dirty and it cost. Compassion is when I become so overwhelmed that he crossed the road for me. I cannot help now but see the need in others and cross the road. Let's pray. Father God, I pray what I just prayed a few moments ago. That we again would be overwhelmed by your love. Overwhelmed by what you took on. You saw me and you cared. You moved out of the throne of heaven into the dirtiness and filth of my world. And you touched and you healed and you forgave and you restored. And you paid a cost that afforded me the wealth of heaven. God, may it change how I see every person in my life this week. And God, just perhaps, maybe, as we leave this church today, a tidal wave of compassion will sweep over Colonial Heights and Chesterfield and Prince George and Hopewell and Dinwiddie. And God, may our compassion... 
change lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.